Matthew 28, we're going to look at verses 16 through 20. The title of the message is, But Some Doubted. I'm not preaching four Christmas messages during December this year. I've done that in the past. Here's what your messages are for the, the, week, the month of December today, but some doubted. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about Jesus enduring the cross. Why did he endure the cross? He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have stepped down from the cross, but he endured the cross. Why did he do so? And then we're going to, on the 20th, have, and by the way, next Sunday, we also have our Christmas musical. It's a 30-minute musical presentation at the beginning of the, the service and then followed by the message. Then on the 20th, the title of the message is The Christmas Story. There will not be Sunday school on the 20th or on the 27th, but the message will be the Christmas story. And then at the end of the uh, service on the 20th, we'll have what we call and have always had the Christmas communion, and we'll have Christmas communion. And then on the last Sunday of the year, the 27th, I'm going to preach on the 27th to the five of you who show up. Actually, I hope a whole lot more do. But on the 27th, the title of the message is Holiday Inn. And uh, we're going to look at the Holiday Inn on the 27th. But today, but some doubted. Matthew 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When I was a young pastor, the only older people that we had in the church were parents of some of our active members. We just didn't have very many older people in our church. In fact, I pastored that church for 15 and a half years without one death in the church family. 15 and a half years, and no one died who was a member of that church. It was a great tool to get people to join. But the only older people who were there were were parents. Two such ladies were Mrs. Joss and Mrs. Bellow. They were both in their 80s, and they loved that young preacher. One Sunday, I offered to take them on a date. I went up to them and I said, would you two ladies like to go on a date with me? Oh, they were just giddy. And I said, now, I'm going to ask Mrs. Ray to go because I don't want you to try anything. And so they said, okay. And so we determined to pick them up and to take them to dinner. Now, you have to understand, I was a young preacher and we couldn't afford very much. So I either, it was either the Western Sizzlin or the Ponderosa where I, I took them. And uh, <clears throat> we, that was a, a big mistake, by the way, to take uh, 
two, two ladies who were chewing with someone else's teeth uh, to, uh, <clears throat> to the Western Sizzling or the Ponderosa. It took us a while. It, it, it took a while for us to... <clears throat> so Jan and I finished our rawhide steak, and <clears throat> the ladies were still working on theirs. And one looked to the other, and here's what they said. Do you want to ask him? And the other one said, I'm not going to have him think I'm a fool. You ask him. Then the other one said, no, you ask him. And it went back and forth until finally I said, ladies, please, would one of you ask me whatever the question is? You've still got half your steak to eat. So they said this. I can remember it. Mrs. Joss asked the question, and she said it like this. I can still see her face. Brother Randy, sometimes we wonder if we're really saved. We know there was a time, and we know there was a place of our salvation, but we just have really doubts about whether or not we are still saved, whether or not we are really saved. I gave them an answer to that, and we're going to come back to that answer at the close of this message. But in the meantime, I want to talk about how relentless Satan is in the work that he does in causing us to doubt our salvation. The text that we read is most often seen as the Great Commission, and that's what it is. But usually left out or missed in that text are those three little words, but some doubted. With that as the title of the message, I want to spend some time thinking about why born-again believers doubt their salvation. One of the first things that Satan will do to a new Christian, when someone is newly saved, one of the first things that Satan will do is to try his best to get them to doubt whether or not they are truly saved. And he has a bag full of tricks to get us off base, but he always leads with doubt. He always wants people to doubt their salvation. If he can persuade you to take a misstep in your new walk with Christ, he has you on the road to doubt. And if possible, he'll keep you on that road to doubt and in doubt for your entire life so that you're never really able to serve the Lord with a sense of confidence. It's very difficult. And it may surprise you. Some of you are saying, wow, he's preaching on the very subject that I have been thinking about. It may surprise you that you are not alone. In fact, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to say every believer because I don't want somebody to tackle me in the parking lot and say, wait a minute, not me. But I will say that almost every believer, almost every believer has some time of doubt or fear during their lifetime that their salvation is not real, that their salvation is somehow or another not true or it didn't last. And I want to help you with that because I know as I bring this message that most people have had an issue with it to some degree, and some people have a chronic issue with it. 
Returning now to the first two verses that we read in the text, you see the doubters. It says, now the 11 disciples went into Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, we know who at least one of the doubters were in the crowd. We know that it was Thomas. Uh, Thomas we often refer to as Doubting Thomas. In the King James Version, Thomas is called Didymus. Thomas called Didymus. Was that a second name? No, it was a description of who he was. Didymus is a word that means twin. Thomas was a twin. Thomas had a twin. John 20 and verse 27 in the ESV says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now you may be nothing like Thomas, with one exception, in that you may be a doubter. Hopefully, this message will clear some things up for you. We're going to see three things in this message. I want you to try your best to take note. We're going to see the power of trust, the point of salvation, and the peace of assurance. The power of trust, the point of salvation, and the peace of assurance. First of all, the power of trust. Who do you trust? With rare exception, everybody trusts somebody. Married people trust their mates. Children trust their parents. Parents trust their children. Brothers trust their brothers and sisters, and sisters trust their sisters and their brothers. I'm sure that there are plenty of people that you do not trust as well. There are a lot of folks that we're just careful around. I think all of us, given the circumstances of our world today and what's going on with, with worldwide terror and the horrible situation that took place this week in San Bernardino and, and just the general violence in the world, I think we're all more aware of our surroundings than we've ever been. And it's good for us to be like that. It's good for us to be aware. The saying is to not be afraid, but to be aware. And we should be aware. Let me say this to you, and this is an absolute truth. There is someone who you can always trust. You know who that is. You can always trust God. You may have issues in some aspect of your life, but you can always trust God. And that means that you can trust God's promises. You can trust God's love. You can trust God's diligence. You can trust that what God says, He means. Now, here's what God said in Hebrews 13 and verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, you can trust God with that statement. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In a message about doubt, you have to start with trust, with the trust factor. Do we trust ourselves or do we trust God for salvation? If we trust God for salvation, then who do we trust to keep our salvation secure, to keep our salvation safe? Well, we should trust the God who gave us that salvation. Our spiritual lives are not built on logic or earthly wisdom, but there is some logic in trusting God for salvation and trusting God for the security of that salvation. So let me share with you some simple logic. 
People who are plagued with doubts about salvation overlook the simple logic of what salvation is and how salvation comes to us. Now, what I'm going to share with you right now is very, very simple. But if you grasp it, you can understand how you not only can, but you must trust God with your salvation. Here's the first thing. Simple logic. None of us are righteous. None of us are. We know this from Romans 3.10. There's none righteous, none at all. Nobody is righteous. We're not righteous because we are all sinners. All of us are sinners. You are a sinner. Would you say that with me? I want you to say not you are a sinner. I want you to say, that's what we do, don't we? We say you are a sinner. I want you to say, I am a sinner. Say it. I am a sinner. Could Could you say that like you really believe it? I am a sinner. We're all sinners. We didn't have a door today for the non-sinners, the perfect people to come in. There's not a door marked on this place for perfect people to enter. All of you sinners go in these other doors, but you perfect people come in this door. And the reason that we don't have that is because we are all sinful creatures. We are creatures who cannot possibly earn our own salvation. We are like pig pen in the uh, uh, Peanuts comic strip. We're like pig pen trying to clean somebody else up. We're just too dirty to clean anybody else up, including ourselves. Here's the second thing. None of us are righteous. Jesus sacrificed for our unrighteousness. Because we're not righteous, because we can't save ourselves, because we can't clean ourselves up, Jesus sacrificed for our unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you know that God cannot allow unrighteousness into heaven because God is holy and all around God is holy? And if he allowed unrighteousness to come into heaven, he would allow unholiness to come into heaven. So he had to give us righteousness. How would he give us righteousness? He would give us his righteousness. How would he do that? It would be earned and given to us. Who would earn it? It would be Jesus who came and died and became sin for our sin and gave his righteousness to us because the best that we could muster up is unrighteousness. If I were to say to you, all right, your assignment this afternoon, and I'm just going to have you to do it for an hour, just for one hour this afternoon, I want you to leave here, and I want you to eradicate from your life any unrighteousness that is in your flesh, no unrighteousness at all. Don't have a bad thought. Don't don't flare up. Don't be envious. Nothing. I want you to live an unrighteous hour, 60 minutes in a day, an unrighteous, I mean, excuse me, a righteous hour. I want you to live without unrighteousness. You know something? No one would be able to do it. And the reason is because we're all sinners and nobody's righteous. And the only righteousness we could possibly have is that which is given to us. Now we're following the simple logic of salvation. There's 
None of us are righteous. Jesus sacrificed for our unrighteousness. And here's the third thing. We trust him for our salvation. There's no one else to trust. There's nobody else. None at all. We are sinful, and we know that we're sinful, and and we know that we cannot have righteousness on our own, so where do we go? The only one who is righteous, and that is God, and we go to Him and trust Him alone to give us the righteousness needed to be able to go to heaven at the end of this life. Now, do you see how simple that is? None of us are righteous. Jesus Christ died for our unrighteousness, and we go to God to get his righteousness. We trust God for our salvation. Now watch this. We not only trust... By the way, how many of you believe that you trust God, you trust Jesus Christ for your salvation? Could I get one good amen today? Amen. Amen. All right, now listen to this. If you trust him for your salvation, then we trust him for our security. I mean, if you trust him to give it to you, you trust him not to take it from you. If if we trust him, then something would have to be wrong with him. Something would have to be wrong with his gift for us to be saved and then lost again. There would have to be something wrong with his promise. There would have to be something wrong with the quality of the salvation. There would have to be something wrong with the the gift itself. If we can't trust God with keeping our salvation, then we can't trust God with the getting of our salvation. If we can't trust God for the forgiveness of sin future, we cannot trust God for the forgiveness of sin past. Because it is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from unrighteousness. There are a lot of things that we can do with salvation once we get it. We can abuse it. We can use it. We can confuse it. But we cannot lose it because it was given by God. It was put on and in our lives by God. And just so that we won't put faith in simple logic alone, I want to show you some scriptural logic. We're talking about why we should trust the Lord and not uh, trust the Lord not only for salvation, but also to keep us in our salvation. We've seen the logic of that. Here's three biblical reasons that we should trust Him. First of all, there is the security of the Trinity. The Trinity, that is, that God is three in one God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that all members of the Godhead, are involved in keeping that salvation, that righteousness that God has given us. All members of the Godhead are involved in that. Let me show you where that's given to you. In John chapter 10 and verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you're 60 years or older, 
<clears throat> you may know the name, Tennessee Ernie Ford. Tennessee Ernie Ford was an old, uh, well, he wasn't always old. <clears throat> He's a dead guy now. But Tennessee Ernie Ford was a singer, and uh, he used to sing, had a, a big, baritone, beautiful voice like this. And he said, I remember one song that he sang. You remember 16 tons? Anybody remember 16 tons? He said, you load 16 tons, what do you get? You remember? And then he'd say, one fist of iron, the other of steel, and if the right one don't get you, the left one will. You load 16 tons. Well, let me tell you, let's talk about the right one and the left one. Jesus said, no one is able to take you from my hand. And then he said, my father, who's greater than all, has his hand around you, and no one is able to take you from my father's hand. And then Ephesians 4.30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. When I was eight years old, I got saved. Not because I was a righteous little boy, but because I was lost and knew it. And I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and he saved me. And the Son put my salvation in his hand, and the Father wrapped his salvation around the Son's hand, and the Holy Spirit sealed the whole package, and I have been safe and secure in the seal of the Spirit and the hand of the Son and the hand of the Father since I was eight years old, and that's been two or three years ago. And so have you. Look, when we look at scriptural logic, we have to understand the security of the Trinity. Here's the second thing, the security of proximity. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep for the slaughter, knowing all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now that's the biblical version of ain't no mountain high enough. There's nothing Nada, not one thing, doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter where it is, doesn't matter how strong it is, there is not one thing that can separate the love of God from your life. And what is the love of God? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now listen to this. If you have believed on and received Jesus Christ, if your trust is in him, then you have the love of God from which you can never be separated. Never, ever, ever. Ever, 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 ever. Wasn't that a Taylor Swift song? Regardless of our proximity to life, trouble, distress, persecution, heartache, self-doubt, whatever it is, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We have the security of the, of the Trinity, the security of proximity, and let me just quickly give you this, the security of integrity. I use this on Wednesday night. I'm not going to uh, use all of it right now, but here's what the Bible says in 1 John 5, 9. 
if we <clears throat> receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is uh, born uh, concerning his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, and it goes on from there. Here's basically what that's saying. That's saying this. If you can believe anybody, you can certainly believe God far more than you can believe anybody. If you receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. So there you have the security in the Father and the security in the Son, and the security in the Holy Spirit. We have seen now the the power of trust. We have seen the point of salvation. Let's look at the 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 uh, excuse me the power of trust, and we have uh, seen the the point of salvation. Now let's take a look at the final thing, and that is the peace of. Uh, wait a minute, I'm, I'm messing this up. Now we're seeing the point of salvation. We're, we're at point number two. I had people walking around. I was watching them. And by this I mean, at what point does a person actually get saved? When does a person get saved? John 1.12 says <clears throat> that we are saved when we receive Him. Romans 10.13 says that we're saved when we call on Him. John 3.16 says when we believe in Him. Ephesians 2.8 says when we have faith in Him. All of this are telling us the same thing. We are saved when our trust is in Jesus Christ. Now watch this. I'm going to come down off the platform. I want you to watch this. <clears throat> let's, say, let's say that there's someone in this service today who is lost. You're uncomfortable during this message. This message really bothers you because you've heard this before and it really is unsettling to you. And you know that I'm going to give an invitation in a few moments. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to stand up and we're going to sing. And you're going to hold on to the pew in front of you. And you're going to do what we preachers call white knuckling it. You're going to hold that pew tight because you don't want to let go. You're, you're, you don't want to surrender. You don't want to give up. You don't want your life to change. You want everything to stay the same. You don't want to go to hell. So you're just holding on. And you, <clears throat> you've sat through so many invitations before, you know you're going to be able to sit through this one. <clears throat> and you, you hold on, and we're singing only trust him. And, and uh, you're thinking, boy, I need to trust him. And, and we continue to sing, and <clears throat> you continue to think it. And, and you said, I've struggled with this for so long. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ can save me. I know that, that I've got to go to heaven when I die, and I've got to change my life. And I'm going to get saved today. And all of a sudden, those white knuckles get blood back in them, and you <clears throat> turn loose. And you step out from where you are and, and you take a step down the aisle toward the preacher and you come to me and I'm smiling. I'm so glad you've come because I know that you've come for salvation and it thrills me to no end. And you walk down here and, and I put out my hand to you and you smile and put out your hand to me. And all of a sudden something awful happens. You grab your chest and you fall to the floor in front of me. And you are unable to ever speak a word to me. And you die right here at this altar. You never said the sinner's prayer. You never were baptized. You never 
had somebody to take a tract of the Bible and go through it. You've just been sitting through these gospel messages forever. And you finally said, this is the day that I'm going to do something about it. And you turned loose. And you took a step. And you met me at the altar, but you didn't make it all the way. Now the question is this, where'd you go? Because you didn't get to take my hand and hear me talk and pray a prayer the way that others have prayed it, did you go to hell? Because you were not able to be baptized like other people have been baptized after they were saved, did you go to hell? Because you were not able to join the church, did you go to hell? Or when you took that first step, that first step of faith, was that the step of faith that stepped you into the presence of God? I want to tell you something, folks. Salvation is not a response to an invitation, although you should respond if you need to be saved. It is not the saying a prayer exactly the way somebody else said it. It's not having the same reaction that somebody else had. Salvation, listen to me, salvation comes at the point of trusting Jesus Christ only. That's salvation. Only you can answer honestly, and I honestly believe that people know whether or not they've been saved. Only you can answer honestly this question. If God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Only you can answer the question honestly and know for sure the reason if that reason is that you've been saved. Only you can answer that question. If you said, well, it's because I tried to live a good life, you'll know that that wasn't the right answer. If you say, well, it was because I went to that church and I heard that preacher preach a lot, you'll know that that's not the right answer. Well, it's because I was baptized. You'll know that that's not the right answer. I'm saying that you understand absolutely beyond the shadow of a doubt, you know whether or not you are trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I have no doubt whatsoever that you know. Let me ask you a question. Did I ever sit in this chair Well, you say, Pastor Ray, of course you sat in this chair. We watch you come over here and sit in the chair. Well, what if you hadn't seen me sit in the chair? What if you were looking away or you had your heads down texting someone while I was preaching? And you looked up and you said, why is he sitting in that chair? And here I am sitting in this chair. And I ask you, did I ever sit in the chair? And you'd say, well, sure, you sat in the chair. What if I was here before you ever got to church today? And you just looked up and here I am. Did I ever sit in the chair? Well, certainly you sat in the chair. Why would you say that I sat in the chair? Well, because you're sitting. So you're saying that I couldn't be sitting unless I sat? Is that what you're saying? So I see what you're saying. You're saying that you can't be sitting unless you sat. Well, sure. That's certain, isn't it? 
the fact that I'm sitting is proof that I sat. I wouldn't be sitting had I not sat. When I sat, I sit. That's really hard to do, by the way. So you're saying then that the proof that you sat is in the sitting. Amen. Now listen carefully. Who do you trust? Honestly, don't, don't go for it. This is between you and God. This is not you answering me and having a feel-good moment. Who are you trusting to get you to heaven? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, then the question is this. Are you really saved? You say, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure. Well, if you're not sure that you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, we're going to give an invitation today. And just like the guy that was white-knuckling it and finally turned loose and took a step, I want to encourage you to take a step toward salvation and come and let us share with you how to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And go away with the assurance that you are trusting Jesus Christ. And then listen carefully to me. You cannot possibly go to hell trusting Jesus. If you were to die and you were to go to hell and and you got to hell and somebody was there that you knew and they said, well, how did you end up here? Well, I was trusting Jesus and something went wrong. Not possible. What is possible is for you to go your whole life and never trust Jesus. Today I would say only trust him, only trust him now. That brings me to the last point of the message. Why then do people like you and me fail to have the peace of assurance? Well, there are a few things. First of all, some are not saved. We've just covered that. Some of you know that you're not really saved. And I love you and I want you to be saved more than anything else. I want you to be saved and know it. But some of you are not saved and know it. Here's the second thing. Some people are underdeveloped. You're like a third world country. You're underdeveloped. You're saved, but you never developed your salvation, so you're unsure about it. Let me give you that from Scripture. This is a little bit of a lengthy passage of Scripture, but it's one that everybody ought to know. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, by which he was granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, let me stop right there. Here's, Here's what we're being told develop your salvation. You've obtained your salvation. Now live in it. You bought the house. Now live in it. Put your furniture in it. Sleep in it. Dwell in it. Enjoy it. Uh, Bring people uh, over uh, for a visit. Enjoy. Participate in your salvation. God gave it to you. Now enjoy it. Add those things. Now watch this. For if these qualities are yours, and are increasing, that is, you're developing them. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful, look here, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that it is not possible to lose your salvation, but it is possible for your salvation to grow so weak because you didn't develop it, you didn't occupy the house, you didn't keep the walls painted, you didn't keep uh, the floors clean, you didn't keep uh, uh, the dishes uh, uh, cleaned up, you, you didn't sleep there at night, you didn't stay in your salvation, you didn't dwell in your salvation. Salvation was a cabin that you never went to over in the corner of glory land, and you absolutely forget that you were even saved, and you say, did I ever get that assurance of heaven? I just don't know. The Bible says the reason that you may not know that is because you're blind, and the reason you're blind is because you didn't, you're you're an underdeveloped nation. Here's the final reason that some people have difficulty with assurance. Some people are anguished. There are those who have been so mistreated in life or have such low self-esteem that they cannot imagine that God would love them enough to stay true to his promise. Other people have not been true to their promise to these people. Would God be? They never question anyone else's salvation. They only question their own salvation because they feel unworthy. I I don't question your salvation. It's just mine. I have a problem with mine. We're all unworthy. Some are anguished by self and some are anguished by Satan. Sometimes Satan just just creates issues for us and cause, and he just hammers at us until we doubt our salvation. I promised you that I would give you the rest of the story on Mrs. Joss and Mrs. Bellow. Mrs. Joss and Mrs. Bellow said, Brother Randy, sometimes we wonder if we're really saved. We know there's a time and a place of our salvation, but we just have real doubts about whether or not we're still saved. Those two little ladies who loved their young preacher sat across from me at that Ponderosa, a western sizzling. I can't remember which one it was. They sat across from me, and they said that, and I looked at them, and I said, well, finally. I'm finally glad that y'all are fessing up to your lifestyle. They said, what do you mean? I said, I know about you, too. I know that on Saturday night, y'all go over to Dickerson Road to the Starlight Club, and you go in there and you get all liquored up, and you dance with those men in that Starlight Club. You jump up on tables and dance. I've heard about you. And you just absolutely have a big time. And then you come in on Sunday morning and try to rub a little Jesus on it. and just They said, we don't do that. I laughed a little bit. I said, well, you're selling drugs. I know that. <laughs> I guarantee you, if I wanted drugs right now, I could, you could probably dive into that purse and pull some out for me because you, you're, we don't do that. I said, well, what are you late? I went through several things and they, they were laughing and, and, and I said, well, what do you ladies do then that's so bad? You read your Bibles every day. I know you come to church, you're there every time the doors are open. 
You read your Bibles, you, you all pray every day. We even watch preachers on television. You do? What kind of old hell music do you listen to? We listen to Christian music. I said, wow. Then I said this to them. I said, ladies, if I were the devil, I'd just give up on you. I'd just let you live a wonderful Christian life. Or I would be so diabolical and mean and wicked and realize that there's nothing else I could get you on, I could at least make you miserable about whether or not you're really saved. And that's what I would go for, Mrs. Bellow and Mrs. Joss. That's the work of Satan trying to keep you, you sweet, dear, lovely, godly women, from being happy with your salvation. And don't let him Oh, I never will forget to look on their faces. They said, we won't. And do you know something? Those two dear saints of God didn't. I would ask them at church sometime, y'all still say, we are. Folks, the word says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord.